This is Daryl Hawk, and you're listening to Outside the Stalls. Could it be you have seen from east to west, from coast to coast, you got nothing left to see but ghosts in? It could be, I hope you agree that running's got you all now. Maybe set your feet to a different route and come on straight on today's episode of Outside the Stalls, we have Jenny Landon, who is the founder and executive director of Growing Out of Darkness. Her passion for mental health and wellness breathes through every aspect of her life, but it is the connection she builds with her audience where this passion is so profoundly experienced. Jenny's ability to transform her story into a poetic message of love and wisdom is one of the many ways that sets her apart. The eloquence in her words delivered with the fire for life reaches both the minds and hearts of her audience. So if you want to learn more about Jenny and Growing Out of Darkness, visit www.growingoutofdarkness.org. And what I feel like you will love in this episode is to hear how Jenny has went through quite a few things in her life, but she's turning those things around to be a blessing in other people's lives and the way that she is connected with other people to help them experience joy in the midst of struggle and pain. Well, welcome everybody to episode three of Outside the Stalls, and I just want to kind of reiterate that no matter where you find yourself today, I just want you to know that you're loved, and that there's someone out there who understands. So reach out to somebody, you know, give them, give them the chance to stand by you and the thing that you're going through, and just know that the power to overcome lives within you. That's one of the reasons we started this podcast, and when we started talking about what we wanted it to be, we wanted it to be a place that people could find hope that they could realize that in their circumstances, no matter what they're going through, those things don't have to define you. And that to give them courage to step out in faith, that's one of the reasons we called it outside the stalls. We wanted people to stop hiding in fear and to be able to step out and know that there's other people who will walk with them and that they have the power to overcome. And one of the ways that we thought we would do that is to tell stories, that we could hear the stories of people who are experiencing hope and wellness, although through their lifetime, they've experienced things that maybe if they were writing their own life story, they wouldn't have signed up for. They wouldn't say, hey, put that down for me in my life story because I want to face something that hard. But they're able to live in health and wellness because they're taking those things and somehow turning them for good in the lives of other people. And so one of the first people that I thought of when Zach and I began to throw this idea out is my new friend, Jenny Landon. And the only way I can describe Jenny is to say that she is an overcomer. And when I look at people that are overcomers, I'm just amazed by the things that they're able to fight through and the things they're able to do with their lives. And so I want to real quick welcome my new friend, Jenny Landon, to the podcast. How are you, Jenny? Hey, hey, Daryl. I'm doing fantastic. How are you? And thank you, by the way, for that very incredible introduction. Well, you're welcome. Well, I wanted to tell you that I don't think I ever did tell you, but uh, for those of y'all that don't know, I met Jenny at a conference called Habitu Warrior. Uh, you were what the MC and one of the speakers. What was your title yeah. that week? Oh my gosh! Jack of I all was, trades. I was actually yeah, because it was the Dallas event, right? And yes. so, yeah, I was actually running that event as gotcha. well as one of the MCs and one of the speakers. Yeah, it was that was a crazy, crazy weekend. Yeah, I knew you were wearing like uh, at least a gajillion uh, uh, hats that day. Yeah. And so, but I wanted to tell you the reason that I felt inclined to come talk to you after the event was because there was just something real and authentic about you that I, that even out of all the speakers, I said, you know what, there's something different about her. And maybe I just 
understood that maybe you had been through some stuff, but I felt a real passion and authenticity in you and I'm drawn to those kind of people. And so I think we only talked maybe 15, 20 minutes, but I had some kind of feeling that our paths would cross again at some point doing yeah, something. I, was I didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I remember you coming up to me at the end of the conference and, and we did, it was a quick chat, but but it stayed with me. And, and I was really excited when you reached out to me about the podcast and, and then everything happened with COVID and, and we kind of um, got disconnected there for a little bit, but I was excited when I got this message that you were up and going and that I got to be part of it. And thank you. It's an honor. No problem. I mean, I think that's the kind of people we want on here. People that are willing to tell their stories, people that will use their stories to help other people. And when I think about you, that's, that's exactly what you're doing. So, I mean, and one of the things I appreciate about you even more is that, you know, you've probably had more pain and trauma than anyone would want to sign up for in their life, but you're taking that and you're using that and that you're tending to focus not as much on that pain, but to focus on the blessings that have came out of it, to focus on the the moments that you're able to use that in, in somebody else's life. And so talk to me a little bit about who is Jenny and and how is Jenny trying to use her story on this earth to, to make a difference? Oh boy, that, that's a, that's Deep. a big question. So I would say that I, um, I am a powerful, fierce mama bear above everything else. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, my desire to help others is strong in me. Um, my family comes first. I have two daughters and they will always come first above everything else. And I've made that mistake before where um, I didn't, I didn't put them first. Yeah. And, and I learned from that, you know, and, and, um, but I would say that, uh, you know, everything in me is really about, it's about love. It's how you open the show. Um, you know, people always say to me that, uh, oh, you're so passionate about mental health. You're so passionate about suicide prevention. And I used to think they were right. And then recently I started working with this gentleman. Um, we partnered up and, and we were talking about passion because it's one of our things we have in common. We're both very passionate. And I realized that my passion is not mental health. It's not suicide prevention that that's just one of the ways I express my passion. My passion is love. Awesome. And, mm -hmm. and so you're trying to take that passion and to, to take it out to anybody that will hear, no matter what maybe yeah. their struggle is or what their story yeah. is, it goes beyond just suicide prevention. It goes beyond, it does. beyond some of maybe the topics that maybe you're asked to speak on generally, mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a bigger picture than that, right? Yeah. And, and for me, I think a lot of it, well, one, I, I think I have this theory that, that we'll have to go into another time, but I have a theory that we're all born with like a primary primal passion that's within us. And, and so I have a theory of like the different passions are that, that exist within us. Um, and then it's how we express those passions. Right. And, but I do think that part of it for me was, you know, I grew up in East Texas and I was one of six kids. I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I was loved. The, the only person in my family who I ever genuinely felt loved by was my dad. 
And so here I am in the mix of these six kids. I had, you know, my mom's family was, was a very unhealthy family. Every man in her family was a predator of some type. And, um, and so for me growing up, not feeling loved, not feeling connected or like I belonged except for when my dad was around, but he worked shift work. So it was, it was, you know, every, like few weeks, I'd get to see him for a couple of weeks and then yeah. his schedule would change again. And, um, and then he passed away when I was 20 and, and that was devastating for me. I mean, when he died and, and I'll say I lost my dad to suicide and when he died, I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand because this has been a man who had always taught me to be strong and to be brave. And he was so kind and compassionate in, in, what he did with our community and, and the people in his lives. So his death did not represent who he was as a person. Yeah. And so I think that's why that like my passion for love and sharing love with people got channeled into mental health. It got channeled into suicide prevention was because the person who I love the most in my life, you know, for the first 20 years of my life died from suicide. And what difference do you feel like overall that he made, though, in the person that you are today, knowing oh that gosh. you talk about he was kind of the one person that loved you. And so yeah. many times in a lot of girls story, that's the total opposite that, you know, yeah. their their dad wasn't there. Their dad, their dad didn't support them. They didn't feel the love of a father. And so they sought love elsewhere. Right. I mean, how did it impact you to have a dad who did love for, you that way? So for me, you know, it was actually... Um, Gosh, it was uh, probably 17 years after my dad died, 17, 18 years after he died, I was asked to give a talk in Las Vegas on spiritual healing. And which that was the first time I'd ever been asked to do that. I, I'd always been talking on suicide prevention and mental yeah. health. And, and I thought that's why they were calling me. And then when she explained to me, no, no, it's, it's actually, we want you to talk about spiritual healing that I kind of went, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I, huh. Um, but it was interesting because as I was preparing for that talk, I started writing out these different um, values that just started pouring out of me. And, and I actually have them on, on our website. And, uh, but the very first value that came out of me was called Be the Village. And the meaning behind that was that we should always surround ourselves with people who will push us past our comfort zone, encourage us during times of self-doubt, and love us even when we feel unlovable and that we have to be willing to do the same for them. And that the meaning behind be the village, that is who my dad taught me to be. Wow. Those are all lessons that he taught me through the interactions we have. And I have lots of stories to, to demonstrate how he did those things, but that was the epitome of who he was is that he always, he always pushed me. He always encouraged me and he always loved me. I, I never had any doubt. And, um, and I think that it, you know, it really, um, it just it instilled in me this belief that we should be that for other people. And, and that it really doesn't matter if those people love us back, yeah. right? Um, but, but that our role in this world is to try to share as much love as we can and, and just try to be a positive force in other people's lives. I just think even in uh, situations in my life, uh, one of the things is like me and my wife, we lost, we lost a baby in 2008 mm -hmm. 
And it's one of those things that, well, I mean, it it, it was early on in the pregnancy. And so a lot of people had went through it. So there was tons of people saying, Hey, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And they gave me a lot of great words, but there's one guy in particular. I remember all he did is he sat with me and he cried Mm -hmm. and I felt his love in that moment. He cried with me. I mean, this is a grown man crying with another grown man. And I remember that over any other word that was spoken. And so I, I agree with you that there's times when we're walking through this, sometimes all we need is someone to stand with us, to walk with us, that, that, that family, that village to yep. let us know that they're with us that and they're stranger. behind us. Yeah. That stranger. It, it can be I mean, a stranger, honestly. honestly it yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time. I, I always say, you know, meaningful connections um, truly can save a life. Right. And, and I want to be clear on what is a meaningful connection. That doesn't mean that it's someone that was in my life for 40 years It doesn't mean it was someone in my life for for 10 or even one year. Some of the most profound connections that have been in my life have been people who I don't even know their name, right? They approached me at the park, right? I had, I'm there at the park with my, with my daughter and my, my, my older daughter who was, you know, four at the time. And and then I also had a one-year-old and, and as most parents would know, it's really easy to get defensive when another parent comes up to you to point out your kid's behavior. Yeah. Right? Don't um, do that. But I could tell this woman, this woman was approaching me from a place of love Yeah. and, and she came up to me and she said, Hey, I, I like, I see that you're struggling. I see this. Have you ever heard of sensory processing disorder? And, and I had not. And she filled me in on it. She, she was like, you should go talk to an occupational therapist. They're the best people to talk to. And, you know, the fighter in me for my child immediately started calling different occupational yeah. therapy clinics. But we learned so much. And it was because of that woman, right? Like, because I had already, I had been calling my daughter's pediatrician week after week after week, begging them. Because I was like, look, I have my degree in psychology. This is not normal. Yeah. You keep telling me this is a phase. She's about to turn five. Phases aren't supposed to last this long. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and eventually we got in to see a, a psychologist to have her evaluated. And, and the psychologist kept saying to us, oh, well, she's just sensitive. She's sensitive, you know, but she would never say anything beyond that. And, and when we started working with the occupational therapist, it changed our lives. It changed the way we saw her behavior, how we engaged with her, how we helped her move through her struggles. I mean, honestly, in this woman, I have no idea what her name is. Wow. Right. But she changed my life. She, she walked into your story and made a difference and and walked right out. Right. And so you never know, you never know where those people come from. Are they angels? Are they just people who, who God sends to your journey? And the thing is, we don't know when we're that for someone else. Absolutely not. Right. And so I think like, I always tell people, cause they'll ask me, well, what's the best thing you should say to someone if they're hurting, if they're grieving or if they're going through something difficult. And I was like, you know, honestly, there's not a best thing, No. right? You got to You have to just be quiet for a minute and feel what you're going to feel and then trust that you're approaching them from a place of love. And as long as you're approaching them from a place of love, you can, you can feel good about what you did, right? Now, here's the thing. You have to remember this person is hurting. This yeah. person is struggling. So they may not receive your message from a place of love. But that's where I'm going to take the opportunity and say, hey, if you're hurting and you're struggling and someone approaches you, try to receive them from a place of love. Try to recognize that this person is trying to do the best they can. And maybe the best they have isn't what you need or what you think you need, but they're there, Yeah, you know? 
So would you say though that there are anything that you shouldn't say to a person in grief? Like, you know, are there some do's and don'ts to, to walking through grief with someone else or loving them well you in know, those moments? I I try very hard to avoid saying to people, I know how you feel. Yeah. I I I get it. I get like I lost my dad and I can meet someone who lost their dad, but that doesn't mean that our situation was exactly the same. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that my pain was greater or that their pain was greater, but we're all individuals and, and what we feel and what we experience, I think we should be allowed to, for that to be our own. I think it's great when we can share in our grief and we can, we can have someone that we bond with over, over a connection, but I don't think it's the same. So I do try to avoid that. And especially when someone's going through depression, right? So like my daughter, for instance, when she was going through depression, um, I, it was really, really hard to not say to her, Hey, I've been there. I know, I know what it's like, like you'll get through it. Don't do that. Don't like, I think that is one of the, one of the biggest no, no's, um, especially if you're dealing with a teenager, because it's the last thing they want to hear is that you know, I've been there, you'll get over it. And, and it actually makes me think back to, um, when I was in, in college, I was working at a junior high and I was doing intervention work and I almost didn't get the job because I was a white girl from Texas (laughs) and I was going to work at a school where it was 99% African-American. And then they had that la- that 1% was um, Asian and Latino and that, but it, that was a very small percentage. And they just, they're like, you will not, you'll, you won't be able to resonate with these kids. Yeah. Um, fortunately, the person that was making the decision um, on who they were going to hire was really good friends with, with my boss for the job I had, I had had working at a high school. And, um, so they decided to give me a chance and I went in the first day and I said to those kids, like every presentation I gave was, Hey, how many of you have ever lived in Texas? You know, and nobody, nobody. raised their hand. Like how many, how many have ever been to Texas? Nobody raises their hand. Like how many of you know how long it takes to drive from Longview, Texas to San Francisco, California. And some of them are like, Oh, 10 hours, five hours, whatever. You know, it's like, let's that. try 36. <laughs> It's like, and most of that is just crossing the state of Texas. And I said, so that's where I grew up and that's where I came from. So I'm telling you this because I have no idea what your life has been like. And the only way I can know is if you tell me. Yeah. I never had a quiet moment in that job, which was fantastic. But every, every chance a kid had to come and talk to me, they did. You know, I mean, it was just, I was surrounded by kids all the time who wanted to tell me their stories. And I think that's it. Sometimes we just want to be heard yeah. and we want to be recognized for what we've been through. I'll ask you this. Who do you think, as far as people in your life, who are the people who heard you in the moments maybe that you went through pain? And obviously probably your dad was one of those, but who are the people that you felt like heard you and walked you through some of the things that you that you uh, had to walk through in your time? Wow. Um, you know, I would say recently, cause I think it's really profound and, and sometimes I actually feel bad about it. Um, I have, so I said earlier, I have two daughters, my younger daughter, she doesn't just hear me, she feels me. 
she knows she knows when i'm going through something difficult right i'd say both of my daughters are very in tune with me um but definitely my younger daughter like she can she just feels me and she can come over and and just hug me and it's it's pretty powerful um but i you know i've been fortunate i I have just had people in my life, again, some of them, I don't, I don't know their names, right? But they were classmates at school that when the first anniversary of my dad's death was coming up um, and I was barely functioning, you know, it was just, I, I, I couldn't go to class. And this guy who I barely knew, he did not go to a single class that day. He just stayed with me. He stayed with me and he walked with me to my classes to tell my professors why I couldn't be there. Wow. Right. But, and again, I didn't even have to like pour my heart out to him. He just, he knew and he understood and he was just there. He just stepped in. He just, he did. And, and so I think, again, that's where I would really try to encourage people is be present, right? Pay attention to the people around you. Um, whether you're the one stepping in or allowing someone else to step in and be there for you. So I told you I was going to ask you three questions. Uh, I've already asked you a bunch, but none of them were the ones I told you, right? Uh, Right. But what are the, one of the things right now that you're a part of or that you're doing that you're most excited about that you would want to share with, with people that are listening? What are, what are some of the things you're excited about in your, in your life or in your, in your profession, in your journey? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my life, my profession, my journey, they are all intertwined. They are not separated. Um, So I am most excited about the fact that I recently partnered with uh, Craig Miller, who is my absolute favorite advocate in the mental health world. And and it's funny because when we first partnered, um, it was really just to say, hey, let's go give talks together. It wouldn't be great if we gave talks together. Um, but very quickly we realized this dynamic between us and, and just this fire that was lit inside of us. And we decided we are going to change the world's view on mental health and how to seek treatment for it. And I am beyond excited to do that because I I truly have believed for many, many years that um, the key to reducing the rate of suicide is by teaching people wellness, right? We've got to take like 10 steps back and we really need to focus on how are we living Right. So that's exciting. And another piece of that, that this, that's exciting is that my two daughters who are now 13 and 16, they are so heavily involved in what I do. And, and it's not always on a professional level, although my, um, both of them actually have gone with me to events and have gotten on stage and have spoken and shared their stories. Um, so that's really exciting that they're part awesome. of changing this message and they're, and they're part of really influencing kids their age. Um, so that is beyond exciting to me, just the impact that they have on their friends and how they are communicating with them and how they let their friends know if you're in trouble, I'm here for you, but we have to get an adult, right? Always we have to get an adult and it's, it's so powerful. Um, so yeah, I would say that right now that is, that is probably at the forefront of just, I, I wake up excited to work on this and, and to be a voice for people who feel like they don't have one. And we talked earlier this week and you were talking about your book and what kind of motivated you to finally put your story out there. I'd love if you would just share that kind of what motivated you to decide to go ahead and let's put it to paper. We got it. We got to get that message out there. What, what, what started that? 
So, um, about almost 15 years after my dad passed away, a friend of mine reached out to me and told me that she had had two friends who each lost a loved one to suicide that week. And she wanted to know if I'd be willing to write them a letter of hope, letting them know that healing was possible. And I immediately was like, wow. I mean, that's profound and huge and, and wow. So I started working on it. And, and then about three weeks later, I called her and I said, Hey, I am working on this letter for you. I haven't forgotten you, but I don't know where to stop. And so I sent her what I was working on and she called me back and she said, Jenny, don't stop. Right. She said, you have a message that needs to be heard. Just keep writing. And so ultimately I did send her a letter before I finished my book, but, um, it's the last chapter. One of the last chapters in the book called the lessons I learned was the letter that I sent to her to give to her friends. But I, um, I did, I allowed myself to just write and I wrote and I wrote and it for about three years I was writing and I never really looked at it as I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get it published and, and I'm going to give it to people. Because there was a part of me that it was always, I know we talked about this, yeah. there was a part of me that always was like, well, who am I? Like, why, why does my story matter? And why, why does what I have to say matter to anyone else? You know, and I would meet people at different events or just with, you know, at, at family gatherings or whatnot. Um, and we would start talking and I would share with them like what I was working on. And ultimately, um, there were two really big moments that, that pushed me to turn this, this writing into a book. And that was one, um, was this woman who I was at a, I was at a women's retreat just for fun. It was a neighborhood thing. And I was talking about how I lost my dad to suicide. And the next morning she came up to me, it was just the two of us were awake at that point. And she said, you know, Jenny, I would have had no idea that you had been through that with your dad. Like, honestly, I just look at you and I see this young, vibrant woman who has everything, right? You, you've got a great husband, kids, all that. And I would have never known you'd experience such pain. That's and, easy to assume, right? Like to look yeah, at people and think their story is a lot easier than yours. Right. Cause she was like, you just come across as this happy, joyful person. I would have never guessed. Right. And, um, and then the other situation that really pushed me and this is what pushed me to start growing out of darkness. So I actually started growing out of darkness, um, because I was flying actually from Dallas to back to Minnesota. And I was sitting next to this gentleman who was asking me about my life. And, and I was like, well, I'm kind of writing a book, but not really. I don't really, uh, I don't really know. And, um, and he asked me about it and I told him what it was about and how it was my journey of healing. This was the story of my dad and what I went through and, and it really ultimately how his death saved my life. And the gentleman teared up and uh, it turned out that he was actually a speaker on suicide prevention. Wow. And he said to me, um, cause at that point I was thinking that I needed to work with another organization for my voice to be heard. Yeah. Right. I needed to go through an established entity and he just, he looked at me and he said, uh, he said, I really think that you have a message that needs to be heard and you don't need to do it through anyone else. In fact, you don't need them to censor what you have to share. Yeah. 
your story's so enough, your story's enough, right? Yeah, yeah. And so he said, "Would you send me your non-book? Like, would you send it to me so I could read it?" And at non-book. that point, I, yeah, because that's why I was like, "It's not really a book." And so um, I hadn't shared it with anyone at that point, and but I did. I sent I sent it to him, and I'm going to tell you why I sent it to him. Why why I felt safe was because as we were talking, you know, my story in, in being that I was a, I was an educator on suicide prevention and a crisis counselor, all of that came about because I had lost my dad. Mm-hmm. This gentleman's story was that he was actually a suicide attempt survivor. Oh, wow. And, um, and I don't often remember dates for a lot of things, but I can tell you that he attempted suicide on August 12th, 1978. And the reason that date stays with me is because that's the day I was born. That's crazy. So yeah. he says that he attempted suicide the very day that you were born. And so yeah. you have to know that's not a chance meeting at that point. Oh, I know. I've got goosebumps actually. <laughs> Just Yeah. And so I did. So when I got home, I, I emailed him what I'd been working on. And within two days, he called me and he said, do not keep this to yourself. This has to be shared. And, and so it took, it took encounters like that, him, you know, meeting him and then having this woman in my neighborhood that really gave me that, that push to realize people need to hear this. Right. And, um, and I, I put a lot of, a lot of energy and effort into what I was creating. I mean, I took three years working on it and really trusting in this message, um, that wasn't mine. I want to be very clear in that. And I know, and I feel comfortable saying this from listening to your, um, your first podcast, this was, this is what really, um, helped me develop my relationship with God and, and just that like trusting in him and, and kind of, you know, just being in a constant state of prayer as I worked on it and, and talking to my dad constantly and saying, you know, guide me what is it that I'm supposed to share and how do I, how do I convey it so that the reader can feel me there with them? Because I've had the, I've had the fortune to attend some truly remarkable different types of therapy where I knew I wasn't alone in this journey, but I've lived all over the country as well as internationally. And, and I've met people all over the world who feel so alone and it doesn't matter if they're in a big city or a small town, they truly feel alone in this journey. And so I thought if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to create something and put it out there, I want people to really understand that they are not alone. And, and I, I mean, I feel like from the response I've gotten from people that, that I was able to achieve that. And that's, and that's huge because you're right. There are a lot of people, they can be in a crowded room and feel like they're all alone. Absolutely. And, um, and so if we can help them to feel like there's somebody there, somebody with them, then, then that's part of the battle. Um, we, we've talked a lot about already what your purpose is, which is one of the questions. But if you had to narrow that down, I mean, you, you said that would be probably be loving people, right? If, if you yeah. had to narrow down your purpose to like a small thing, like I talked about me, my purpose is to mentor people. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, that your purpose is loving people? That, that's how you would boil it down? Or would I you would. go a little farther? I, you know, I would and teaching people how to love and how to be loved. Um, and so even tonight, I know we started our call a little bit late and I was telling you, I was glad because we had a situation that came up at our house where, um, my 13 year old daughter was presented on Snapchat with a message of a, of a boy, her age that was saying that he was going to die from suicide. It was a very, very alarming message and she brought it to me. 
and and uh, you know we we reached out to Snapchat, we reached out to the local authorities. Unfortunately, we don't know his full name and we don't know his phone number, so we're we're limited in what we can do. And and my daughter was really struggling with that. She really she said to me, you know, I, I just I want to do more. I want to be able to help him. I feel like I should be able to help him. And I sat with her and I, and I said, you know, Grace, um, you know how you feel people? She has very high empathy. I said, yeah. you know how you feel that? I said, you can use that, okay? So what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about this boy. I want you to picture him and I want you to pour all of your love into him, okay? And, and he will feel that, right? And, and we won't know what the outcome is. I mean, because it's possible that, that, you know, he's safe and he's okay, but that his parents take him off Snapchat. So I yeah. said, you may never hear from him again. That doesn't mean he died. And I said, but, if, but even if he did, you can know that you loved him, yeah. right? And you put all of your energy in that. And then I told her, I said, you know, I've, that's what I do with my friend. And she knows that I have a friend who's, who's going through a difficult time right now. And, and he's had some ups and downs. And when he lets me know, or even if I just sense it, sometimes I just feel him and I will literally send him a text message that says, Hey, good morning. I just want you to know. I love you. Hey, good morning. You are worthy of love. I send him messages almost daily about either him being worthy of love or that I love him or that I'm sending him love. But I think it is really, really important that we are not afraid to express our love for other people. Yeah, and I, and I would, yeah, definitely. And um, I think the cool thing is you talk about your daughter's empathy, but she must get that from you because that's a very empathic thing to do is to, to, to feel somebody and to know they need that in that moment. Would you say that's one of your gifts too, is empathy oh, yeah. and, and being able to feel that for other people? And then yeah. how have you seen, how have you seen like God be able to use that through you and other people's lives? Well, it's interesting because I actually did uh, the strengths finder test. Have you uh-huh. done that? Yeah. Yeah. So empathy is in my top five talents. Not and what's, what's <laughs> interesting is I did that test probably about five years ago. And up until that point, I always saw that as a failure of mine. In fact, all five of my top five talents, I saw as the worst things about myself um, because they were always getting me in trouble. <laughs> and, and the reason was because they were naturally trying to come out, but no one had taught me how to use them. Yeah. Right. So I didn't understand why when I would walk into a room and I would feel this emotion, if it was really heavy and I would feel it. I would suddenly be heavy, right? And I would think it was just me. I didn't understand that I was feeling someone else in the room. So that's another piece of of what I try to do now with the work I'm doing is raising awareness on what does it mean to have empathy and how does it impact you? Because if you do have high empathy, I think it is easier to go into a state of depression or anxiety because we don't always understand that what we're feeling isn't ours. Yeah. And, and so really trying to raise people's awareness of what they're feeling, how they're feeling and being able to process through it, navigate it in a healthy way. And, and yeah, I would say, um, you were asking me how God has used that. It has been me learning to listen to it. So I now, um, it's a whisper, right? I mean, sometimes it can get loud, but, and especially once you get used to hearing it, but I can't tell you how many times I've been in public where all of a sudden I have this feeling of like, you're supposed to talk to that person. 
like talk to them. Right. And a lot of times it happens at airports. And so, um, I have met so many incredible people and I literally changed seats on the plane to sit next to some of them because I just had this feeling that I was supposed to talk to them. And, and I've learned to listen to that. And, and it, it always ends up being that there's this connection or that there's this person who has been through something and feeling alone and feeling disjointed and disconnected from anyone else. And so for me to be able to be there in that space with them and help them to see you're not alone. Right. And we're all in this together, you know, and, and it doesn't matter if you like someone or not, we're still in it together. So try to love them. Even if you have to love them from a distance, love them. Well, I know from my past in ministry, there's, there was nothing more satisfying for me than for someone to discover their gifts and how to use them. And mm. I had multiple students who had the gift of mercy or the gift of empathy. And to see them struggle through that and, and to think that it was something wrong with them and then yeah. to help them realize how they can use those gifts to walk along other, other people was so cool for me to see that happen. And so it's awesome to hear that you're able to do that, but also that your daughter is learning you know, yeah. to, to do that as well I, as a teenager. I, Exactly. And that's the thing, you know, with the, the Clifton Strengths Finder, I am a huge advocate that I personally feel like that should be something that they're using in schools because I don't think I'm alone in feeling like my top five talents were a burden or were getting me in trouble, right? That those yeah. were faults. And part of the reason it was causing me so many problems was because I was constantly trying to change them. I was constantly trying to deny them. Mm-hmm. They would come out, but I would resist. And I had so much inner turmoil. And, and so going through that process, it was actually through our church that I did the test and getting those results and helping me to really learn more about who I am and how to honor who I am. It, it really, I mean, I almost hate that I had to be in my late thirties to, to figure out who yeah, I am, exactly. you know, it takes us all and a so, while though. Yeah. And I know some people say, well, you have to be that age for it to sink in. And I don't know. I don't think I, I don't really agree with that. Cause I look at my daughters and, yeah. and I, you know, I, I think our mindset determines a lot. And one of the ways that I would point this out is there are a lot of people out there who talk about how the teenage years are the worst, right? And, oh, just wait till they're a teenager. They're going to turn on you. They're going to become difficult. They're going to do X, Y, and Z. And I realize, of course they are, because that's all we ever say they're going to do. Yeah. We teach them that that's what they're going to do, right? And, and I actually always said to my girls, like, yeah, you know what? There are some teenagers who do that, but you're not going to do that. Yeah. That's not going to be you. <laughs> and, um, and my older one, she did go through that some when, when she went through her depression, um, cause she, she had had anxiety most of her life. And then she went through depression after she sustained a concussion. And I had no idea that a concussion could cause such a significant impact on, on everything that she was dealing with. Mm. Um, because all of her sensory processing disorder issues got amplified. Her anxiety was amplified. The depression set in. And about a year later, uh, she actually ended up attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that, that was the day that I chose work over her. That was the day I did not listen to my empathy. Uh, we had been dealing with issues for a while and, and she was resisting everything I was trying to do for her. Yeah. She kept pushing me away. And I had said to her, like, you know what? I'm here. Okay, this is what I do and I can help you 
but you have to let me help you. You have to want to get better. You know, and I want to be very clear. No one chooses to go into a depression, but we have to fight to come out of it. We have to make the choice to come out, but sometimes we need other people to help us do that. And, and what was especially hard is she's a teenager. So she's naturally pushing against me and resisting me. Um, but for us, you know, what changed was the day after she attempted, I sat with her and, and I just said, it's like, you know what? Um, my greatest fear isn't that you're going to die. Okay. I would be sad and I would miss you, but I know there's good people waiting for all of us on the other side. You would be safe. My greatest fear is that you're going to live a life of misery and that you are going to seek out drugs and alcohol. And I learned a long time ago that making decisions based on fear never ends well. And yet that's all I've been doing. Mm. I've been so scared of you rejecting me of, you know, that I can't even touch you. I can't hug you without you getting upset that I can't go in in the morning and say, good morning. And I've been allowing that to impact how I treat you and how I, how I interact with you. And I said, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm done. I said, you know what? I am no longer going to just fight to keep you alive. It's not enough. I am going to fight for you to live a life you love. Wow. And that changed everything for me. Um, and, you know, and again, like this is something I've always believed in is that we, we have to want to be here. We have to have a reason to stay. We have to have wellness in our lives. If we're simply just trying to stop a suicide from happening, but we're not helping someone live their life to the fullest, that suicide attempt is just one of many. Yeah. Right. It's just a temporary and, fix. Exactly. And, and she and I actually talked about it. She went with me to a conference uh, in the fall so it was probably about nine months after her attempt and we talked about it and I asked her if she even remembered that conversation because she was, you know, kind of out of it and, and still resisting me a lot. And, uh, and she's like, yeah. And it made me really angry when you said that to me, because all I heard you say was that you didn't care if I lived or died, which I was like, what, so you know, <laughs> what? But again, yeah. I approached her from a place of love. She was in too much pain. She, she couldn't receive it from a place of love, but she watched me. She paid attention. Everything I did moving forward was constantly from a place of love rather than a place of fear. Leading up to that, every time I approached her with something, I was scared. I was scared how she would respond. I was scared she was going to say no. But after that conversation, every time I approached her, it was from a place of love. And she also saw me fight to get her into programs um, and not traditional programs like most people be thinking of. Uh, but I, I knew that Kaylee would love to do an aerial silks class, which is like those giant hammocks that you can do tricks in. And the problem was that we couldn't ever get her signed up to do the ones that were offered for her age group. Cause there's always a wait list. So I started calling the adult, um, organizations and they all said the same thing. She has to be 18. She has to be 18. Finally, I was on a call with this woman and I broke down. I said, listen to me. I am fighting for my daughter's life. Would you please hear me out? Would you please consider letting her come and and do your class? And she said to me that she went through a similar situation and that's how she got into aerial silks was because of her own mental health issues and that it saved her life. And so she's like, all right, bring her, bring her. And so that Saturday I took her and again, Kaylee fought me. (laughs) Because <laughs> she's, you know, 15. And, yeah. and even though she wanted to go, her fear, I mean, she was in a really dark place. 
So she had a lot of fear and she didn't want to do it by herself. So I was like, I'll do it with you. Okay, we'll do it together. So I went in, I did the class with her. Here's what we learned at the end of an hour. Kaylee was amazing at aerial silks. Absolutely fantastic. Um, after about 30 minutes, the teacher told me I had to stop because I think she thought I was going to throw up all over her floor. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were not so good. <laughs> no, I was like, and I'm going to tell you, I'm strong. I mean, I, I work out almost seven days a week. I mean, typically seven days a week. I, I um, take my fitness and my health very seriously. Kaylee's insanely strong. And um, it's, a, it's hard work to do those aerial silk tricks. But more than that, too, it's an inner ear issue, right? So flipping upside down and, and spinning, oh, yeah. I No, but here's the thing. I did some form of an aerial silks class with her three times before I actually was able to convince the school and her sister to sign up to do it with her so that I didn't have so to do it anymore. So get out of it. <laughs> but Kaylee told me that made a huge difference for her. Yeah. That when she saw all the things I was willing to do to help her, that I was willing to sacrifice myself, that she realized she had been fighting the wrong thing, that she had been fighting me instead of the darkness. And that's when everything changed. And she's now the healthiest she has been since she was probably a toddler. And I'm not saying every day is fantastic and great. I mean, she's still like, Mental health is something that we constantly have to be monitoring and being aware of. And, and especially right now during COVID, this, this has not been an easy time, but I love our communication. I love our honesty and, and the fact that both of my girls will come and talk to me about things that are going on and, and that we have resources and that we have tools that we use and we access to, to navigate those difficult moments. And so you talked about tools. What would you suggest to someone out here who's maybe they're dealing with, with, you know, some, some kind of struggle or they're dealing with something, you know, in that area of mental wellness, you know, what would yeah. you suggest to them to, to kind of try to find the health that yeah. you've been able to find that your, that, you, that your daughter's been able to find? What would you, what would you, you suggest know, to them? Kaylee and I, one day when she was going through, like after she was, had, had, you know, made all of this progress and then she had a setback and we sat together and talked about it. And, and I said, you know, Kaylee, let's talk about what are the things that help you feel better? Like, let's just, let's write out a list. And so we actually created a mental health checklist. Um, and so I would say for anyone who's struggling, you know, consider some of the following things that, that Kaylee at the age of 15 at the time was able to identify really helped her a lot. Um, one of them was being able to access being outside. Now, again, with COVID, that can be challenging depending on where you live. But even if you can open your window and sit next to the window and let the air blow in or, or have this or do it right when the sun is shining into that window, let that sun shine on you. Um, yeah, getting, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of fresh air is huge. Um, also, physical activity is yeah. huge. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to exercise. Yeah. Like I am six feet tall, 130 pounds. And most of my life, people thought I was anorexic until they would meet the rest of my family. And realize we're just all really tall and skinny. <laughs> um, I was terrified of exercise because I thought if I exercise, I'm just going to get skinnier, right? I don't need yeah. to lose weight. What I didn't understand at the time back when I was in high school was that physical activity actually calmed your nervous system down 
Um, it also detoxes you from foods you've eaten or products you've put on your body or even the emotional stress that you're going through. Um, getting in 10 to 15 minutes of actual sweating, and it doesn't have to be intense sweat, but just get that sweat going. It detoxes your body. Uh, and the other thing that I learned because of Kaylee's concussion is that physical activity also helps your brain to heal. And that is why when you have a baby, even in utero, one of the things they're looking at is how much physical activity is the baby doing while it's in utero, because that's a sign the brain is developing, it's growing, and we can continue to develop it as we age, but we have to stay physically active. Um, another thing would be doing mindfulness exercises, you yeah. know, and, and whether that is whether you choose to do Tai Chi meditation, um, or even reading something that, that helps you to discover really your inner self, um, doing things that help you to become in tune with who you are and what helps you to feel good about who you are. Good stuff. Um, yeah. And then a big one too. And again, this is hard cause it's COVID, but, um, socializing, and, and, and the thing that's, that's really tricky, especially with today's world before COVID even, but I think COVID's really, uh, really amplified it. We need face-to-face -face interaction. It, it's really important. It actually stimulates a part of the brain and activates it, uh, a pleasure center in the brain that is far superior than anything we can achieve through a screen. And so making sure that you get that. And again, that's where, you know what? I go to the grocery store every day. Well, I did before all this was going yeah. on. I miss, I miss my people. Um, but I, I did that for a couple of reasons. One was because I would, I would honestly buy what I needed for that day. So I actually spent less money. I yeah. wasted, I wasted far less. Um, but the other thing was I love feeling like I'm part of a community. So I didn't just go in the store, buy what I need and leave. I know almost everyone that works there, right? Yeah. I know the, I know the um, Sam and produce and I know Tim in, in the butcher section. And, you know, I know Sandy at the register and Gary who helps bag my groceries. And, and I love that the other day I actually kind of melted down in the grocery store um, and I refused to wear a mask. And I just kind of, I was like, I'm done. I'm yeah. done with all of it. And, and Gary looks at me and he goes, Jenny, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> And I really, and he genuinely meant it. Yeah. Right? Cause he knows you. He, yes. Intentional relationships make a difference. Ex exactly. And so these are not people that I, that I have at my birthday party or, or that have come to my house, but they're still people that matter to me, yeah. right? They're people who I see and I engage with and they make my day better. And so we have to be intentional to connect with people when we are out and about, make eye contact, smile. And even right now, maybe you can't engage in a full conversation and you can't embrace that person that's next to you. That's a total stranger. That mask isn't covering your eyes. Right. And yet I see people constantly when they're in the store, they don't even want to look at each other. Like the yeah. fear is really intense. We've got to get over that. And remember sure. like operating from a place of fear is not going to get us anywhere. We've got to operate from a place of love, make eye contact. And even if they can't see your lips smiling, you can see it in the eyes. And so I'm, I'm going to finish everything off with this. Yeah. I mean, all of us are continuing to grow, right? You know, somebody could be listening to this now and think, man, Daryl and Jenny, they got it together. You know, what is the area that you're experiencing the most growth in right now? Or maybe you're still experiencing some, some fear that you have to bust out of the stall every once in a while and say, okay, I'm not going to let this hold can me I, down. Can I be like totally honest? Yeah, just for sure. Brutally honest. Okay. I'm going to tell you that uh, Monday was my dad's birthday. Yeah. And um, 
and it's been years since I've had any kind of anxiety over his birthday because it's, it's become a place of love for me. Like I've had some really great things happen both on his birthday and on the anniversary of his death. So I no longer fear those dates, but this year I haven't been well. I haven't, I, I think COVID amplified it, but I think that um, sometime in February, I started going through a depression. I wasn't taking care of my body. Mm-hmm. And it was all for very exciting reasons. I was jazzed. I had just partnered with Craig Miller. Like the fire was in me. But the problem was I was only getting like three, four hours of sleep at night because I was so excited about what I was doing yeah. that I was working all the time. I was not balanced and I wasn't stabilizing other things in my life. And I did not realize that I would slipped into a depression. And part of the reason I didn't realize it was because I've never experienced depression like this before. It was erratic and unpredictable. And so I'd have one day where I'd just be like, oh my gosh, everything's horrible. And then I would have another day where I'd be like on top of the world, or it could be 10 minutes of good and then 10 minutes of bad. And I honestly was like, my gosh, am I bipolar? Like what is going on with me? And, um, and on Monday, like I honestly was sitting there crying and my husband came in and he, he's like, what's going on? And I said, I don't want to be here. And he goes here. He's like, yeah, no, but everybody wants to get out of their houses. I know. And I go, no, I don't want to be here. Mm. I don't want to live like this. This is too much. It's too hard. And, and I just cried. And I was really fortunate because this woman that I work with, um, is a, who's a healer, I had intentionally scheduled an appointment with her. Monday was the first day she was open back up for clients. Mm-hmm. And, and it being my dad's birthday, I had already set up an appointment with her. So I spent three hours with her on Monday, just um, clearing out a lot of heavy stuff that I'd been holding on to and, and really trying to balance the energy in my body and, and, and get to a place where I could feel good. And, and she kept saying to me, we're going to find the focus of what's most important to you right now. And I just looked at her and I said, oh, I know you are like, I know every time you say the primary thing, I just want to feel like I'm at peace. And I left her, um, on Monday afternoon. And since then I've been saying the same three sentences over and over again. Every chance I get, I wake up in the middle of the night. I say it while I do my workout. I say it. And it is, I am at peace. I am capable. I am loved. And I just keep saying them to myself over and over again. And, you know, and there's part of me sometimes when these things happen where I feel like I'm a failure because this is what I do. I, I shouldn't have gone into that depression. I know better. Like, this is what I teach people. Totally understand. But a couple things. One is I think that someone else is going to resonate with this story. Yeah, It's going to make sense, right? Because most people, when they think of depression, they just think, oh, you go to a dark place and you stay there. That wasn't what I experienced, right? I was, I was like a yo-yo. It was ridiculous. No one knew how I was going to respond at any given moment. But the most beautiful thing happened. Yesterday, I was with my 13-year-old daughter, and I was talking to her about everything I've been feeling. And she actually said to me, she was, Mom, did you feel like you had bipolar? And I go, yeah, I did. Like, yeah. And she goes, yeah, that's what I went through when I had my depression. Wow. And I was like, wait, what? Because her sister, we knew her sister was going through depression because it yeah. was that dark, scary stuff, the yeah. stuff that you know to you look for. Yeah. The 13 year old, like she flies under the radar, right? She gets all of her homework done. She has a great relationship with her teachers and her friends. Like, 
I'm not saying you shouldn't worry about those kids. I know you should never assume that just because the kid is doing well in school, they can't have depression. And I knew that she'd had some rough patches, but for her to open up to me yesterday and say, mom, that was what my depression was, was just this moment where, I mean, I just, I just hugged her. And I was like, talk to me about this. When, when was this? Like, how did I miss this? And she's like, no, you knew. She was, you knew, but you were really busy trying to take care of Kaylee because Kaylee was so bad. And she said, but you got me in to see this healer, the same woman who I saw this week. And yeah. she goes that it saved me. And, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in, in holistic options and alternative care. Um, I think that we have the ability to heal ourselves, but sometimes we do need support from someone else to, to jumpstart things. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, definitely excited that I invited you on. I felt like we had a great conversation. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, no. So, if, if people wanted to reach out to you, how would they get in touch with Jenny? Yeah, uh, go to our website. It's growingoutofdarkness.org, um, and then all of my contact information is right there. People can contact us for talks or for books. In fact, I should say um, for anyone who is struggling with depression or has lost a loved one to suicide, the reason I started this nonprofit was to be able to donate copies of Growing Through Grief to anyone in need. And this was not about financial need. This is about emotional need. This is about no one should have to pay to know that they are supported and that they are not alone. So awesome. yeah, so anyone that needs a copy or knows someone who needs a copy, they can go to the website and learn more on how to get a copy of the book. Alrighty, well thank you for joining us and this has been Outside the Stalls. Could it be you have seen from east to west, from coast to coast, you got nothing left to see but ghosts and it could be I hope you agree that running's got you all now. Maybe set your feet to a different route and go. If you would like to continue the conversation, visit us on Twitter at Outside the Stall or visit my website, www.darylhawk.com. Last name is H-A-L-K. We'd love to continue the discussion about what fears are holding you back from living a life outside the stall.